I want to insert a few preliminaries which are important here and some will be important for us. We're talking about God's purpose. Why God created the universe. Now how in the world do we know something like that? How could we possibly know what God's purpose was in the universe? What kind of speculation? What kind of investigation? What kind of experiments? What kind of hypothesis should we do to discover why God created the universe? The short answer to that question is that the only way to know why God created the universe or why he did anything is if he tells us. There's no way to get that information on our own. The why of God's actions is only available if he tells us. That includes why certain mitzvahs are there, why certain events take happen in history. If the why is God's why, it's got to be because he tells us. So the answer that I'm going to give you comes from the tradition, which goes back to Revelation. Now, answers to why, for many people, <coughs> have a curious itch. If the question is why, A, and the answer is B, the itch is to ask why B. And if an answer is given because C, the itch, this is a tough itch, is why C. There's a kind of a kind of spontaneous itch in some people. And whenever you get an answer to a why question, you re-ask the question. You just ask it again. Okay, I understand D because E, but why E? Now, Aristotle pointed out 2,300 years ago, that a person who really has this itch, why P? Because Q. But why Q? A person who really has this itch is condemning himself to one of two fates. Either, either the fate is to go on endlessly. Why Y? Because Z. But why Z? Because double A. Or, the other possibility is that he'll get a circle. Why A? Because B. Why B? Because C. Why C? Because A. Why A? I told you already. B. Neither of those is a happy ending. If it goes on infinitely, it means you never get to a final answer. And if it goes around the circle, A because B, B because C, C because A, then you haven't explained why the whole circle exists. It means... A person who is committed to always re-asking the question why has condemned himself to never getting an answer. Which, if you appreciate it, and he appreciates it, means that the question is less than fully serious. A person, it seems, should not ask a question in such a spirit that he has precluded the possibility of an answer. What then to do? It means that when you ask why, you have to be prepared, in principle, somewhere to stop. Why P? Because Q. Why Q? Because that's the way it is. Period. And to protest, but I want to ask why Q? No. 
You have to be prepared to stop in principle somewhere. Let me put it a little more, in a little more detail. The question why has a price. It's not free. The question why has a price. And the price is to show that what you have so far is in some way inadequate. Maybe what you have so far only explains half of the question that was asked. The other half is still isn't, isn't explained. Or maybe the suggested explanation is only one of a few possible explanations and no reason has been given to choose this one over another one. Or maybe the explanation given faces certain objections and the objections haven't been answered. If someone can show that the stage we're up to is inadequate in some way, it's incomplete, or it's a choice among possibilities, or it has objections, then re-asking the question would be appropriate. He can pay the price. He can explain what's wrong with what we've got so far. But if we get an answer that explained everything that needed to be explained, and there isn't any obvious alternative answer, and there don't seem to be any objections against the answer, to simply say, yes, but why, is to play the game of condemning yourself never to get an answer. And I want to point out that this is not just abstract philosophy, but this is the way we operate in all of life. Um, in mathematics, you have a complicated proposition and ask why, you get a proof. The proof goes back to the axioms. If they ask, but why the axioms? Usually you just get a blank stare, maybe because of the axioms, you see. Um, that's how it's done. We start with this and we prove other things. That's what mathematics does. In philosophy of mathematics, the same rule is applied. In philosophy of mathematics, you think of other possible axiom systems and ask, why did you choose this rather than that? Then you have a, you're paying the price of asking the question why. Um, in motivation, why are you working at that job? <coughs> because I need the money. Why do you need the money? Because I want to buy a house. Why do you want to buy a house? Because I'll enjoy it. Why are you doing something that you'll enjoy? I told you, because I enjoy it. I don't need another reason to do something that I enjoy. Enjoyment is the end of the explanation. Enjoyment is a reason for in and of itself. It's an ultimate reason. There's no further question, but why are you doing what you enjoy? I don't need any more reasons than that. It's not the only stopping place, but it is one natural stopping place in human motivation. I enjoy it. So, in, in our, our thinking about why, in general, also, there's, there are natural stopping places, and abstractly, if you ask why, you have to pay the price. Okay, so now we're asking, why did God create the universe? The answer that the tradition gives is, in order to express loving kindness. In order to express loving kindness. Let's see what that means. Loving kindness is a quality, it's a characteristic, character trait. Some of this we modified later, sure, <coughs> lessons. But um, I'm going to take that for granted for now. Now, let's think about this. Uh, think about loving kindness. A person isolated on an island. There are no other people there. Could possess the trait of loving kindness. 
The fact that he's isolated on an island doesn't change his character. But he can't express it. Because to express loving kindness means to give good, to benefit, to improve, to help. And all those verbs are transitive. They, they require a, an object, a recipient. Okay, now I don't know how you feel about animals. There are, there are philosophers who think that, that dogs are probably on a par with humans, if not higher. Um, so I'm, if, if you have that inclination towards animals, then just consider the island to be devoid of animals as well. I don't know of any philosophers yet who think that trees are human. So uh, we, can, we can pull that uh, safely, I think. <clears throat> to express loving kindness, there has to be a recipient. Someone who's going to receive that good, that benefit. So, if the ultimate motivation is expression of loving kindness, already you have to have a creation. At the very least, you have to have the creation of the recipient, the one who's going to receive the benefit. What I'm telling you now comes from the second chapter of The Way of God by Lutzato. And I will just uh, mention that I don't fully understand that chapter. and I've worked on it a long time with people who know it better than I do and who are brighter than I am. None of us really understand it, so I'm giving you what I understand. But there are things there that I, I still don't have. At any rate, so there has to be a recipient. The whole of the creation is the recipient plus all the means that are necessary to give the good to that recipient. Uh, any guesses as to who the recipient is? Mankind. Mankind is a recipient. And all the rest of the creation are means whereby mankind can receive that good that God wants to give. Now, uh, let me stop for a third philosophical preliminary. So does that mean that God needs us? He wants to express loving kindness. Loving kindness can't be expressed without a recipient. So he needs to create us in order, for that, in order to have a recipient for his project. To many people, the idea that God needs anything sounds very peculiar. God is perfect. Perfection usually means being self-sufficient, independent. Would it make sense to say that God needs something, anything? I think there are two answers to this question. One is to meet it head on, and the other is to go round the bend. Here's how you meet it head on. I think <coughs> needs, needs by themselves, are not a problem for perfection. They're not inconsistent with perfection. I don't see any contradiction between having a need and perfection. What's really a contradiction to perfection is dependency. A perfect being shouldn't depend on anything else. It should be self-sufficient. Now, if you think that need implies dependency, then you get into trouble. Correct. Because if need implies dependency, and that dependency contradicts perfection, so need contradicts perfection. 
That's where the problem lies. But I think it's appropriate to cut off this problem at the first step. That need doesn't have to imply dependency. It's possible that I need X, but I can all by myself provide myself with X without any outside help whatsoever. If so, although I have a need, I'm not dependent on anything. So, if God needs us for his project, the project of bestowing good, and he creates us, creates us out of nothing, creates us all by himself, without any input from anything or anyone else, then it seems to me that, although it is a need, perhaps, but uh, since it doesn't imply any dependency, there's nothing wrong with saying God has a need like that. Yeah. The need to create us, or what? Yeah, the need to create us in order to have a, 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 a recipient for the benefit he wants to give. Yeah. Is when you say the recipient, is that when you say it's humanity, it's not all life, it's just humanity? That's right. Although, well, okay. Yes, strictly speaking, in the first phase, that's correct. Yeah. The rest of the universe gets involved. It has the means, it gets involved, and it gets a perfection, and it gets its own inter- eternal existence, all that, but it comes as a secondary effect, not as a, not as a primary purpose, yeah. When we say that God created mankind as some, something, someone to give love and kindness to, isn't that somewhat artificial? Because he's just creating, he himself is creating something him to give to. I don't know, wouldn't it be like the guy on the island who, who would just dedicate, like, I don't know, a rock or a tree or something to give things to, but that's not true kindness because he's just made it there. Well, in not too very many years, you'll have children. You can repeat the same observation, right? <laughs> You made them. One of the great reasons people have children is to have someone to give them. I don't think that's absurd at all. Okay. Now, there's another way uh, to, uh, to go around the bend, as I said. Lutzato, whose work I'm quoting, would say that the word need here is not appropriate. The whole question is a mistake. I'll give you an example, an analogy, and then I'll show you how it works. I have challenged you to a game of chess. And uh, in the middle of the game of chess, I take my knight, and I march it three spaces straight forward, and I take off your queen. And you say, hey, you can't do that! Sure I can. Watch, I'll do it again. <laughs> One, two, three. Ah! I, no, but, 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 you know, you were playing chess. You, you can't do that in chess. <coughs> So what does it mean, I can't do it? It means, if I'm operating with my decision to play chess, that decision has certain consequences. One of the consequences is that the knight moves as an L, doesn't move as as an arrow. So it's not that I can or can't do something, it's that my prior decision implies that this is what must be done. Now, in that sense, Lutzata would tell us, don't say that God needs to make human beings. Say rather that having decided to express loving kindness, that implies that that there's a recipient for the good that you're going to give. 
And the creation of human beings is just following out the consequences of the original decision. It's not a deed that he has, it's just a consequence of the decision to express loving kind. And therefore we shouldn't say that he needs to create us. Okay. So, we're up to step one, having taken care of certain philosophical sidelines. That the purpose is to express loving kindness, actually step two, if you like, and therefore there's a creation of recipient and the means necessary to bestow the good on that recipient. Now, what is the good? What is the good? Sato reminds us that God is the greatest good. Perfection means the greatest good. Perfection means that than which there is no better. So if God is going to give good, real good, not halfway good, not sub-good, not pseudo-good, but real good, then what God has to give is himself. He's got to give godness, godity. And therefore, according to what we said so far, God ought to make God, more God, some God, some God, something. He's got to create godness in the world. Create a world with godness in it. The trouble is, strictly speaking, Godness can't be created. Because, now, in other settings, if you weren't studying purpose, you suffer a jet lag, I think it's a quiz question. Why can't Godness be created? Because God is there. And God is God. He can't recreate it. I mean, he can make more of it, right? Well, he can make it. He's heard before. He's heard before. I was going to say because God can't re- he can't he can't be recreating himself, can he? But let's he can say make more. As I said, Godness, Godity, God, other gods, more gods, more gods. Then it defeats the whole purpose of us of us the, uh, having God as our supreme, as our king. Uh, that is, that you see wasn't the purpose. I didn't, when I described the purpose, I didn't say anything about king. What I said is good giving good, giving good to recipients. But then if God creates other uh, a bunch of other gods, yes. isn't it possible that some of them might not manifest themselves in a very in a good way if he has to give them like, <laughs> this sort of guilt? Okay, yeah, all that's possible, but the problem the problem here is much worse than that. Why can't Godness be created? Can't add to an infinite thing. Uh, how would you be adding here to an infinite thing? If God created more Godness, how could you have more to something that's exponentially large? Well, I mean, we are created, aren't we? I mean, aren't we more? Well, I, I don't think that we're, we're God. We're not okay, but... We're but not God. We're, well, because it's infinite, you mean? We're something separate. We're something separate. Well, okay, so, so let there be some Godness that's separate. I don't mind. No, it's much worse than that. What did we say about God about, about uh, six and a half minutes ago? We said that God is totally... He's perfect. He's totally independent, right? We said God, there shouldn't be any dependencies. Perfection means you're self-sufficient, self-contained, self-defined, self-self, right? <laughs> okay, but now, to create Godness means that that Godness is going to depend upon its creator. So it can't be Godness. Godness has got to be independent, perfect, self-defined, self-contained, self-sufficient. 
To be created automatically means you're not self-defined, self-sufficient, self-contained. You're dependent on something outside of you that created you. You got it. Right. Okay. So that means that the project of creating godness, godity, more god, more gods, all of that, that project is inconsistent. The description is inconsistent. So, we just step it down a little bit. What God does is create a creature who has as much godness as a creature can have. A creature who has as much godness, godity, godlikeness, godliness, see where the word came from? As much godliness as a creature can have. That will be a creature possessing the greatest good that a creature can possess. A creature can't be God by definition. But a creature could be godlike. The more godlike the creature, the more good it possesses, because God himself is the greatest good. So for God to do the greatest good that's definable, that's consistent, he creates a creature who has as much godliness as a creature can have. That's the name of the project. And with this description we have so far, you have an explanation for a verse in the book of Genesis. This, uh, being a philosopher, for me, it's very exciting to find that an idea which everyone else takes as an axiom and just accepts from the Tato's position, and it's not going to he alone, it's the whole Kabbalistic tradition, uh, you can go behind it and get to a deeper insight and then explain the verse in Genesis as a, as a consequence. You all know the verse that says we are created in God's image. Okay, it doesn't really say that because the word Hebrew doesn't mean image. It means form or sharing some characteristics. Why did God create us in his form, sharing characteristics with him? Why? Why did God satisfy with horses? I don't think against horses and squirrels. Why did he invest himself in creating a thing that shares with him those that form of those characteristics? For that we now have an explanation. Because the more the creature shares God's form and God's characteristics, the more godly the creature is and the more good the creature possesses. And since the name of the project is to benefit, to do good, to express loving kindness, therefore the creature should be as godlike as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So then why, why did God give us free will? Why did he oh, I'm coming to that. You can't do it without free will. It's impossible to do this without free will. I'll show you that in one second. The deduction. It's the next step in the deduction. Yeah. The only requirement would be, the only requirement for the creation would be that we could accept loving kindness. That we would have to have no other qualities godlike. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> we have a long, a long logical ho- road to hoe. Let's see how we... But in terms of what I've said so far, you're with me. Okay. Let's see what it would mean to be God-like. To have some similarity with God. One thing about God, which we have now said four times, is that God is independent, self-sufficient, self-contained, <coughs> self-autonomous. That's one of God's characteristics, so to speak. Isn't there going to be a very severe problem here? 
self-sufficient, self-contained, self-defined. How could a creature be that? This is the same problem with creating God that's just repeated now for the creature. Could a creature? Creature means created. It's a created thing. Could a created thing be self-defined, self-contained, self-sufficient, independent? It's absurd. <laughs> yes, you have to live a life of illusion. <laughs> I suppose that's right. Although I guess in this case, the thought that it can is also going to be implanted by the creator who's creating it also. <laughs> you just think it's a positive decision term, which presupposes we we'll get that. Okay. So how is it going to be for a creature? Some element of being self-determined. A creature can't be totally self-determined. That contradicts us being a creature. But how would you bestow upon a creature the ability to be self-determined in some respect, to some degree, in some way? That's what free will does. Free will enables the creature to be self-determined. Part. Part. Not totally. It's a creature. It can't be totally self-determined. But enables the creature to be self-determined in part. So that he can share with God, in part, this quality of being self-determined. That's why free will is so important. And here again, you have an explanation for something that everybody else takes as an axiom. Everybody takes as an axiom that people have free will. There are verses in the Torah that say it. But why? Why did God create a creature with free will? The answer is, because without free will, all you get is squirrels. Or you get very clever squirrels, like porpoises. <laughs> dolphins, you know, which are discussing dolphin Shakespeare with one another with their clicks and twitters. And some of our more fanciful academic friends will tell us. But there's no similarity to God. Now, it's more than that. Free will enables us to have this one point of similarity. God is self-determined, and we, God is totally and absolutely self-determined. We are partly self-determined. So we have some point of similarity. But it's more than that. If we want to share moral characteristics with God, Free will is the key to all moral characteristics. Without free will, you don't have any moral characteristics. I'll give you an example. Let's suppose that I program my computer with a virtual agent that searches the Internet for interesting information, collates it together in a giant file, and every Friday night, the middle of the night, sends it out to my list of 200 recipients all over the world. So when I wake up Friday morning, bang, right there on the computer is a file full of interesting information. Now imagine my recipient in London wakes up Friday morning, he gets this all this interesting stuff, and he says, wow, Gottlieb's computer. What a generous computer that is. What a sensitive, caring computer that is. What a, what a, uh, kind computer that is. Something gone wrong here? Yes. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Right? The computer is not sensitive and generous and kind and caring. It's a hunk of metal and wires and plastic and that kind of stuff. Maybe I qualify because I programmed it to do that and I paid electricity bills, you know, I fix the computer when it breaks and so on and so on. But the computer hasn't got any of those qualities because the computer is a machine. It's a machine. It doesn't make any choices as to what to do. Without free will, there are no moral characteristics at all. If we want to resemble God in that He is kind, so we also should be kind. He is loving, and we also should be loving. And when we become kind and loving, we then are God-like, we possess some godliness, and therefore we possess more of the greatest possible good. All those moral characteristics depend upon free will. Without them, without free will, you don't have it. So free will is one point of comparison, and it's also the necessary key to all the other points of comparison. That's why free will is so crucial. Without it, the purpose of creating the world to express loving kindness could not be achieved. You with me so far? Okay. Now, one final twist, and then we'll take off in another direction. We have time. So, we are created to possess as much godliness as a creature can possess, and that requires us to have free will. And with our free will, what should we be doing? Right, I mean, doing things that will make us godlike. And since God's main purpose of the whole creation is, or the old time, the sole purpose of the whole creation is loving kindness, so we too should be practicing loving kindness. Right. Okay, let's follow the logic through a second time. In order to express loving kindness, there has to be recipients. Hmm. So who then is the recipient of our loving kindness? Okay, uh, that is the natural suggestion of the other people. Now, I confess at this point, I, I'm very, very uneasy with this, but I, I've never been able to say exactly what bothers me here. Uh, so if you want to stop it with this as your answer, I can't really convict it of a mistake. But um, I'm supposed to express loving kindness by helping other people. Helping them do what? Well, to become more godlike. Which for that means to express loving kindness. <laughs> so my loving kindness is to help you express your loving kindness, which is to help him express his loving kindness, which is to eventually help me. I mean, doesn't this sound like a circle with something supporting? Won't it just crash to the ground? I mean, how do we ever do anything? We're all helping each other with the project, and we haven't said what the project is. Right? The project is to help. Okay, very good. So I'm, I'm helping you, and you're helping him, and he's helping him, and he's helping him, and he's helping me, helping you, helping, but helping to do what? It can't just be helping. The project can't just be helping, because then there's not nothing you're helping him do. Except help more people who are helping more people who are helping more people. Now, there's no definition of what the project is here. 
Yes, yes, okay, you're right. I, I don't have to, uh, I, I made it into a circle, but I, as you say that, I realize I don't have to go that far. It's just that A is helping B to help C, to help D, to help E. Don't you have to stop somewhere, stop this chain somewhere without saying help? You know, to help D, to help E, to make money, or to uh, become healthy, or to learn the Encyclopedia Britannica, or to... But, but it's, it's all help, 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 help. It's not, it's not help in doing anything. There's nothing to do. Just help people do more helping, of more helping, of more helping. I mean, it doesn't have to come around in a circle. It goes down to the end of time. Sustaining God's yeah, but what, what is the project? The project is that I should express loving kindness. And if loving kindness means to give a benefit to somebody else, and the only benefit we can think of is to help him express his loving kindness, so we never get a definition of where the expression is. There's one of the Hasidic Rebbe's who said, I'm waiting to meet that child. What child? But when I talk to people and I ask them, why aren't you studying more Torah? And why aren't you performing this better? And why you? I say, well, listen, I have to make sacrifices for my children. <laughs> because my children need X, Y, Z. So I'm sacrificing for my children. But when the children grow up, they do exactly the same thing. <laughs> so I'm waiting to meet that ultimate child. The one who just get all the things people sacrifice for him. And he'll just enjoy it and use it, right? And because he's going to give up, he's going to make sacrifices also for his children. So where's the guy who's collecting it all? Right? <laughs> it's, 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 to me, maybe this is precise enough. There's no definition of what the project is. Right? Yeah. So therefore, would it be possible if you yourself would have if what you're saying, you're saying it would go around in the circle. Good, good, oh, good, very good. Collapse the circle into one, very good. But now, if the good for me is to express loving kindness, then what I have to do is help myself express loving kindness. <laughs> Which means help, 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 <laughs> help, help, something or other. Somewhere, somehow, we're not getting off the ground here. We're not building the project here. Okay, okay, but I don't have, forgetting now about the free will part, but the project. The project is that I should express loving kindness. Right. Loving kindness means to give a benefit to someone. Right. If the only thing that you need, the only thing that's important for you is that you should also come to express loving kindness. So I have no definition of what the loving kindness is. It's going to go to express. A is helping B, and B is helping C, and A is helping B to help C, and C is uh, B is helping C to help D, and C is helping D to help B. But there's no help. What, what is the help that's being given? Just to help somebody else? That suggestion, uh, I could take, I could worry about if I had a definition of what the help was. But I can't even define what the help is. Anyway, let me tell you what the Tato solution is to this problem. Yeah. Uh, maybe that your help, your help with someone else, enables that loving kindness to become a greater loving kindness. Yeah, it's, it's all fine and good, but it's, it, it, uh, what am I helping him do? What help am I giving him? If the only name of the project is to express loving kindness, what help am I giving him? Anyway, the Tato's answer is that the physical world the body, each person's human body, and the physical world is a creation which is capable of good if human beings use it appropriately. 
It's a thing which can be good, have good, now. Not the ultimate good. Not the highest good. Not God's good. It's not going to be God-like. It'll be good in its own way. It's an offshoot of God's good in a certain sense. The, the physical world is created in a way in which it is capable of being good, but not automatically good. And mankind's actions can make it that way. So that there is a recipient. This is one of the reasons that the Torah takes the physical world so seriously. Like I said last night, you don't go off and meditate in a cave someplace. That's not how we worship God. That's not how we ex- express our ultimate goal. The physical world, that's why so many of the commandments are expressed in physical actions, with respect to physical objects. And here's how it works. The physical world is designed to hide God's presence. That's what it's designed to do. That's not all it does, but it is designed to hide God's presence. The physical world looks like a machine. It looks like I'm a blind machine working on principles that have no recognition of humanity's purposes, no goal, no particular values. Like a blind, dumb, insensible machine. Of course, that's not true. The truth is that God's providence is guiding the whole thing. But it doesn't look that way. Because it doesn't look that way, it makes it possible for human beings to lose sight of God altogether. Not news to you that there are atheists. You can look at the sunrise and the sunset and just see the refraction of light in the atmosphere producing colors and feel certain emotions and divorce it from its creator. Now, it is possible for the natural world to express God's presence. It's possible. Sometimes it happens overwhelmingly when God creates a miracle. But it's also possible through human action. When a human being chooses to fulfill God's will in action, then what he does, including the motions of his body, and the parts of the world that are involved in the action, become vehicles for the expression of God's will through the person. The person's action brings God's will into the world, and the world becomes a vehicle for that expression. So, Friday night, you take a cup of wine. Now, where did the wine come from? It comes from a vineyard, which means that there are people who cultivate vines, and people who have studied the development of wine, production of wine. And then, there's the bottle manufacturers who create the receptacles in which the wine is going to be held. And then there are the transportation facilities that move the wine from one place to another. There's the fence makers who put up the fence to protect the vineyard from vandals. There are the uh, builders who build the plant which manufactures the wine. 
there are the governments that create a stable social condition under which wine can be produced and investments can be protected and wine can be shipped from country to country and taxes can be collected. You hold that cup of wine in your hand, that whole network of connections that are involved in producing the wine in your cup are implicated in the action of making Kiddush. They are all contributing to the action of making Kiddush. Not to mention the silver cup in your hand. The silver was mined in Mexico and the artisans there, the artists there designed it certain ways and then it got imported and customs duties were paid. And there's a shop and the shopkeeper has to be paid and taxes and taxes at every state. Don't forget one. Um, so that when you make Kiddush, what you are doing is bringing God's will into evidence in the world through your body and through its connections with the physical world. That elevates and sanctifies the physical world. So far from being a device to hide God's presence, the world now becomes a vehicle for expressing His presence. That gives the world its value. Then the human being, the human being is functioning as a practitioner of loving kindness by elevating the physical to the fulfillment of its potential for good. Many sources talk about, Lusato talks about this in a a number of his books, the soul purifying and spiritualizing the body. Here's the image. Imagine a spark of fire encased in a shell. Fire produces light. In potential, light can travel to the end of the universe. Individual photons of light don't get tired, they don't get weak, they don't fade out, they go. And they're not stopped, they go to the end of the universe. Ah, but there's a shell. The shell absorbs the light, nothing gets through. What could be done to enable the light of the spark to travel unimpeded. There are two solutions, and religions divide on these solutions. One solution is to obliterate the shell, annihilate it. Then the light will travel unimpeded. The other is to make the shell transparent. If you make the shell transparent, Two things happen. Number one, the light isn't blocked. But more than that, the transparent shell aids in the in the progress of the light. Glass, for example, how does light get through glass? Does it sort of just skip in between the atoms and sort of sort of snake its way through and, and come out the the other end? Absolutely not. Because if it did that, then your glasses wouldn't focus the light and improve your vision. No, the light interacts with the molecules, the atoms in the glass, in such a way as to change its direction. Indeed, the speed of light in glass is not the same as the speed of light in space. When you talk about the speed of light being 300,000 kilometers per second, that's only in empty space. In water, it's different, and in fiber optics, it's different, and in glass, it's different, because it interacts with the atoms on the way. It's absorbed and readmitted over and over and over again. 
So a transparent shell is not only not a block to the light, but it's an active ally in the progress of the light. This is the goal. It's a Jewish picture of the goal. Now, you don't obliterate the body. You don't annihilate the body. That's, again, why we don't go off and meditate in caves to escape the body as much as possible. No. We live a life of full involvement in family affairs. Family, business, social concerns, politics, all of it. But to elevate it and to spiritualize. Because this which left alone hides God's presence can become the vehicle for expressing God's presence. And we do that, we make it good. By making it good, we are expressing loving kindness. And this is my final point, which I'm going to explain now. We're running out of time, but we'll explain another case. And since that's what God wants, God wants us to express loving kindness. And he gave us this recipient, this recipient which can be made good by our actions, recipient being the physical world. When we do that, we are also expressing loving kindness vis-a-vis God. Because we are bringing into existence what He wants done. So the loving kindness can be directed in two directions. It can be directed to the world and can be directed to God. Now we can say part of the expression of loving kindness is to help others. To help others in this project. The project of elevating and spiritualizing the physical world. Okay? That's once over likely the purpose of the issue. Minutes of the three minutes.